0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal, with Paul and Ben
1: Eno. Can can things be haunted? If so, how has Ed Warren sent
2: messages from beyond the grave? Hello and welcome to the 670th edition of Behind the Paranormal, with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those creepy questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And today we welcome back a familiar guest, and one who is new to the show, and uh, we won't be taking any calls today due to the uh, time limits, but we will monitor emails, paul at behindtheparanormal.com for those. John
1: Zaffis, making his debut on the show today, has over 43 years of experience studying and investigating the paranormal. He worked with his aunt and uncle, Edmund Lorraine Warren, in areas involving ghosts, demonology, and more. He worked on cases of possession and exorcism with prominent clergy from a number of religions all over North America and in Europe. John has been prominent in the media and featured in the sci-fi television series Haunted Collector. Several Discovery Channel documentaries and other films, television shows, and books. Uh, for example, A Haunting in Connecticut. The John Zaffis Paranormal Museum opened in Connecticut in 2004, and there are many items there believed to be haunted. And that's our subject this afternoon. John's website is johnzaffis.com. And we don't have her on the line yet, but we'll introduce uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley as well, a leading expert in the metaphysical and paranormal fields with more than 60 books published on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, and mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias and reference works. Her current work focuses on interdimensional entity contact experiences, problem, haunting, spirit, and entity attachments, and much more. She has done groundbreaking uh, research on shadow people and the djinn, and she investigates and consults in cases of, quote, persistent negative hauntings, unquote, in which individuals are under apparent attack. She is president and owner of Visionary Living Incorporated, a publishing and media production company, and is executive editor of Fate Magazine, and holds many other prominent posts, Rosemary is a familiar voice to our long-time listeners as a guest and occasional co-host of this show Her website, VisionaryLiving.com And John and Rosemary have just co-authored a book, Demon Haunted True Stories from the John Zaffis Vault
2: So John Zaffis, uh, welcome to Behind
1: the Paranormal
0: Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me on
1: all right, all right well, it was about time, right?
0: <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> I haven't seen you, John, in sixteen years since we did a TV show together in Connecticut.
0: Mm-hmm. And then it's before it's
1: that, you were like twelve years old at Ed Lorraine's house. So it's good to have you with us.
0: <clears> Hi, <throat> Hey, You know, again, it, over the past uh, several months, buddy it has been so cool uh, reconnecting with so many people from you know so many years back. It's it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, that gets, <clears throat> it seems to happen as you get older, John. I'll uh, take it from one who knows.
2: <laughs> so, Ben, take it away. So, let's start with a fairly simple or maybe not so simple question. So, when you say an object is haunted or possessed, what do you mean, John?
0: Well, the, the basics of it is that we have haunted property, haunted, you know, uh, buildings. And, again, many years ago, it was very intriguing and interesting to look into the dynamics of this, again, With me, uh, I look at a tremendous amount from the perspective when we deal with the paranormal as far as energy. So therefore, dealing with these things and having these things affect uh, an environment or a family or a person, I believe the energies end up connecting with certain individuals and can trigger paranormal activity.
2: That's
1: funny because we always say that as a rule... It's people, really, who are haunted, not so much places, at least in our experience. So can you give us some examples, John, of haunted objects?
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the most common ones, and I think it because it portrays, you know, uh, such an innocent uh, perspective, are dolls. I mean, you know, we deal with old ones and new ones and the possibility of something being able to attach uh, to this and handed down because it's a particular item, you know, that means something to an individual, or done as far as a deliberate attempt. And what I mean by that is can people uh, do things to force energy to attach to an item? Absolutely, by doing rituals or, you know, someone showing so much emotion and that energy can and will attach to a particular item that did belong to a person, and again, it can linger on afterwards.
1: Well, I remember dear old Annabelle doll, you know, walking by, and you remember it too, of course, walking by in, in that, that kind of creepy passage between <laughs> your aunt and uncle's house and and art studio. And mm-hmm. in the corner there at the time, I'm sure, I guess you've, you've expanded it greatly now, but at the time in the 70s, there she was at the center of all these creepy objects in that dark passageway. It did rather have an effect. Oh,
0: absolutely. But how would you
1: explain something like Assuming that we're going to have uh, Andrea Perone on the show in a few weeks, but for the first time. Now, assuming that there is something going on, and I wasn't involved in that case because I got involved with with your aunt and uncle uh, about a year after that ended, uh, but I remember them talking about it. How would a a non-material entity attach to... A material object. I mean, what's your interpretation of how that may occur, such as with Annabelle or any of these other things?
0: Well, the the, the true story of Annabelle again was something with uh, a deliberate attempt, if you will. Now, uh, it was two nurses. You know, they were in Hartford, Connecticut. They had an apartment, and one of the young lady's moms gave her uh, the rag doll as a birthday gift. They started treating it as a child. They had used it in a Ouija board session. And here again, you know, not to give a Ouija board uh, the, the, the amount that people give it as far as all of them being haunted out there. I don't believe that. But, you know, they started doing a spirit communication, the two young ladies and the boyfriend. And I believe that at that point in time is when they brought some type of energy in.
1: Hmm.
0: And it ended up attaching itself to the doll. And, again, uh, with the recognition, the amount of things that were occurring and happening, with that energy from everybody, it just really gave it that forefront to it and started reacting and started causing a haunting. And, naturally, uh, it retaliated against the boyfriend out of anybody. So, again, you know, um, I think the original story of Annabelle is more intriguing than uh, theatrical movie or TV show, whatever it was that was done on it uh, is more prominent, more interesting.
2: Yeah. Okay. It sounds more like a Tolpa situation to me than anything else. Hmm. Like, like putting some sort of belief or power into, into an object to the point where it sort of gains its own life. You know what I mean?
0: Well, we see this time and time again, yes. You know, to do uh, a parallel and to look at it from uh, that type of perspective. Yeah. Because... No matter what it is, whether, whether we're dealing with, uh, you know, an item, a doll, or, you know, a, a ritual item, a religious item, a lot of these things, just by intermingling with them, can I honestly say that I feel energy from any individual can attach to an item, a home, or a piece of property or something like that? Absolutely.
2: So here's a question. I'm trying to think of how to word it. So you have a poltergeist uh, go, going on. Say, say you have a case where there's a poltergeist, stuff's getting thrown around the room, and there's also mm-hmm. a, a haunted object as well. If, if this entity can already do physical things, why would it need to bind itself to an object?
0: Again, for the simple fact of uh, that recognition and, you know, my interpretation of it, when we deal with that, when we're dealing with poltergeist, you know, again, psychic kinetic energy, I'm going to, Look at that a little bit differently than I would an item. Um, I feel a lot of this centers around, you know, uh, kids going through puberty and there's a particular part of the brain that just happens to get tapped into and wow, these guys, you know, boys and girls can get things to fly around and everything else because I don't look at, uh, poltergeist, uh, cases. The majority of them, I don't feel it has anything to do with something demonic. It runs its course and then it just beaters out. But there are those situations where there's other energy that does come in and tie in with a poltergeist case, and therefore, we can be dealing with it on a negative. But to me, I look at that as two separate environments. Now, what would be cool, and I didn't think about it until you just said it, is it a possibility from a uh, PK poltergeist-type uh, case having a item where some of that energy might attach to it and... Would there be effects afterwards? Wow, that'd be pretty cool. I never thought about it until you just said it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm really good at that game. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm thinking back to the Bridgeport Poltergeist case. Everybody knows about that now, thanks to Bill Hall's book. And, um, there was, I just, I was a seminary student. I was working with your aunt and uncle, and we all, we have the same kind of theology or pop theology at the time of what mm-hmm. was going on. We believed it was demonic, and, and we were waiting for the diocese. You know the whole story. The diocese of Bridgeport to give Father Bill Charbonneau a chance to do an exorcism and all this. But I got the impression, and I would usually bury these feelings uh, at that time because I was afraid of my seminary superiors, but w- when the, when things would fly around in that house, when things would occur, uh, some of which, as you know, in the, the presence of the police and the firefighters and all this mm-hmm. business, I, I just got the impression... And this is maybe just me, because you know my point of view is a little odd that and no entity, and I thought there were four in the house no, no particular entity was say throwing the coffee table or, or pushing the girl back in the chair or lifting the chair, and I had to push it back down, although that that time I felt that there was an entity there doing that, but many times I felt that there was just um some sort of overwash of energy that that was just a byproduct of the energies that allowed these entities to come into our world in the first place, so to speak. Do you sometimes find that objects will appear to be moving and things of this kind or, quote-unquote, haunted, and and it may be just peripheral energy or or, uh, sort of an an energy byproduct rather than an actual entity doing it? Do you ever get that impression?
0: Yes. Again, you know, uh, evaluating is one of the most important things. I mean, I think today... You know, when I look at things or I get involved with things, I look at things differently than I did, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Hmm. And, you know, our fact was this is what we knew, this is what we understood. And a lot of times when paranormal activity is occurring, regardless of what it is you know everybody right away it's demonic it's demonic i say i don't look at everything that way today
1: yeah i yeah, mean you neither. know
0: that that's our element of uh being able to gain knowledge in our field and to be able to move forward now with the gooden family you know as we all know gosh i'm, I'm drawing a blank with the little girl's name now
1: uh, marcy
0: marcy yeah, yeah marcy um you know she was an adopted uh child um, it was a, a, a rather unique environment. It was very structured, if you will. You know, and a lot of times we find this in, in certain circumstances. With poltergeist activity, you know, it's uh, confined. There's usually other reasons that tie in in the circumstances that can cause you know, the uh, psychokinetic energy to manifest to that point, to be able to get things to move, to get things to break. I mean, you know, a lot of the, the testimonies uh, from uh, that particular case from a lot of people was outstanding. You know, you had police, uh, firemen, you had clergy. You had a lot of different people that were in the forefront, you know, speaking about this case and bringing it to the forefront. Mm. Now, do I believe there's, that there's a possibility that spirit was associated with that particular case Yes, I think there was a combination that was transpiring in there, but the bulk of the activity, as we understand it today, I do feel was PK associated uh, with Marcy uh, tying in. I feel, you know, from other perspectives, uh, with energy tying in, as we know, and we we all learn this, you know, in that perfect storm environment, you see something, you witness something, you're... You get excited, you're trying to interpret it, you're trying to analyze it, and a lot of energy, a lot of emotion starts getting expelled in these environments and can cause things to ramp up. So, again, you know, with the Gooden family, that particular case was, you know, outstanding as far as poltergeist activity with things occurring and happening in the house.
1: One of the questions we get often, John, I'm sure you, you probably do too, is. The idea, okay, many families, probably all families, certainly have a certain amount of wear and tear, a certain amount of stress, especially today when, you know, the economy's not so great and everybody's uh, every which wear within their schedules. Don't. And how come every fam- how come only certain families have what well, we, we call them parasites, uh, you know, problems or, or poltergeists, whatever you want to call it. How come some families do not have that and others
2: do?
0: Well, I think that's the million-dollar question. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think you know. Again, you I can give you four fifty. Yeah, you you look at the circumstances of it, and what in, what is always something that stays in my mind with a lot of these you know very famous cases. You know, um, uh, the house could be a hundred years old. Family after family's moved in and out. Boom, a certain family moves in, triggers the paranormal activity. They move out. Boom, everything stops. So again, I think it's what. I refer to as being in the right place at the right time
1: or the wrong it place at the trigger, wrong time. yeah
0: Trigger something that sure. you know could be dormant or you know that those environments occur and happen now with the Lindley Street house um, many years later um, the piece of property had gone up for sale several researchers had gone in to investigate it and Paul I'll tell you there was some amazing amazing evidence that came out of there hmm um, they ne- it was never released or anything like that. Um, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to see it and everything, and I was quite taken back by it because, again, usually with poltergeist cases, you know, the uh, the remnants, you know, as far as activity or anything occurring or staying on a piece of property is very rare. Now, I've never heard of any reported activity, uh, to my knowledge, uh, of occurring in that house after you know everything had calmed down in there.
1: Yeah, that, that's my understanding as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, well, let's move on to some of the other things in, in your book. And, again, the book is Demon Haunted, True Stories from the John Zaffis Vault by uh, John Zaffis and Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And uh, did, there there's so many interesting uh, stories in here. Tell us about the enchanted walking stick. I have a lot of walking sticks, so I wanted to find out more about that.
0: Ah, okay. You know, a lot of times with the walking stick, just, just like anything, you know, that's uh, something an individual can use, um, and a lot of their energy uh, can transform onto that that particular item. Now, the uh, the one that's being referred to is very ornate. It's very carved. There's a lot of different things to it that tie in with it. And uh, Same thing here on my end. I think I have at least 13 or 14 different uh, walking sticks used in, uh, you know, just different circumstances from different people. I shouldn't say different circumstances but again i feel that energy can attach to it it can remain with that item but if you stop it and think about it if it's a walking stick and a person was using it because they needed to it's going to be something that's right near the individual right up to the time of them you know literally live, leaving the physical body so therefore i feel that uh energy can attach to these things and it can reside so when an item such as a walking stick, uh, a particular piece of wood could be removed from a very haunted location and a person carves it and they start using it, that could really trigger a lot of things and it gives you a lot of thought. You know, is it a possibility is some of the energy from that location attached to this uh, piece of wood that was removed or is it just the individual? Is it a combination of several different energies that could be triggering it and I think that's some of the mysteries that all of us look at and we try to analyze and we try to figure out
1: okay well I'm pleased to say we finally have Rosemary Ellen Giley on the line Rosemary are you with us
3: I am I'm so sorry I got waylaid by the gin.
1: Oh, dear. Well, that's happened to all of us from time to time, so uh, no need to apologize.
2: Nobody's perfect.
1: So John is on with us, and we were talking about, of course, haunted objects. And, uh, Rosemary, we uh, already introduced you at the beginning of the show in uh, optimism that you would join us. And uh, we will, I guess, continue our questions. Well, I, And and this is for both of you. We'll, we'll go back and forth between the two of you with answers, as we've done um, in the past shows. Um I'm thinking of a case in 1998 right here in our listening area in Burleville, Rhode Island. And Ben was uh, just a uh, young lad at the time and had not joined, joined me in this uh, wonderful endeavor. And the people came to me after a lecture and said, you know, we and these were people who were, you know, real estate, you know, kind of they weren't bumpkins. We moved a table, they said, while cleaning out our basement and all hell broke loose. And uh, this ended up to be a case that, that I and then later Ben and I, when he came in t- in 2005, we worked on this case for over 12 years and uh, just finding more interesting things as we went. Um, how would you say, I'll, I'll ask John first, these people moved the table, and if, if it's what they said it was, that, that that this was some sort of cause, why would it have been... Not only a a, a a so-called haunted object, but an object that might have triggered a larger event. John, what do you think about that?
0: Well, again, too, um, just from the little bit uh, you just shared, the table, if it was an old table, it was probably handmade. Um, Can a person's energy attach to things? Now, we also find a lot of times with homes or certain locations with items, spirit doesn't like things moved let alone having their homes remodeled. They dislike that. And a lot of times that's when activity will kick up and they'll make their presence known that they're there. They just don't approve of what is happening. So therefore, is it a possibility? You know, once the table got moved or shifted and, you know, particular spirit of that property, that inhabitant, didn't like it, that's how I would interpret what you're explaining to me. And just like you said, as... We get involved and we start investigating, you know, with a lot of these hauntings and different things and other information tying in and relating and just pu- pulling it all together. We have a lot of what ifs, but it's awful coincidental how, you know, gee, you know, this person passed away in the property or this person did that or this person, you know, so many different things can tie in where it's like a riddle trying at the end of the day say to myself, you know, is it a possibility that table was somehow associated with this, or is it this particular person that lived there causing the disturbance? So, you know, all those magical things that, you know, gee, I hope someday we get the answers to.
1: Mm. Rosemary, welcome back to the show, by the way. Uh What say you. you on that issue?
3: Well, sometimes moving things can jar loose dormant energy, and if there is something uh, attached to a table, even if it's residual energy... It can lie dormant for a long period of time. And then moving the object, uh, taking it to a new location, I think this is what happens a lot when people pick up things in shops and then they take them to their home, Uh, it can jar loose energy. And if you've got the right conditions, then uh, things can become active again. And Like John said, um, a lot of uh, spirits, if there's a, a spirit attached to a place or an object, Uh, they may not appreciate being shifted to another location.
2: How does a spirit get bound to an object? Go
0: ahead, Rob. It
3: it can happen in a lot of different ways. Um, Somebody's intense emotions can uh, attract a spirit that then becomes lodged in a personal possession. Uh, If somebody, for example, uh, experiences a lot of intense feelings, Uh, Usually negative emotions are more powerful than happy ones uh, concerning um, energy that seems to last a long time.
1: That's a little depressing.
3: So personal objects like clothing, jewelry, personal possessions, but that energy can also lodge in space, and it can affect uh, even furnishings in in a space. Spirits also get attracted through um, supernatural activity. I shouldn't say supernatural, but spirit activity like... uh, trying to make contact with the spirit world and opening up some doorways that maybe aren't properly closed. Something might uh, linger on in an environment for a while.
1: Might there be more to it, though? Uh, and, you know, you the, the three of us agree on, on two things. We're great friends, and it's Sunday. Right. Um, because there, <laughs> there are other ways to approach... I like that you grouped us into, like, a collective being well the, but that 's the whole point, the island theory, oh yeah, <laughs> I think that, that, the thing that that kind of bothers and this is even true when I was in the seminary, the thing that kind of bothers me about the whole idea of spirit in the classic sense you know a, a disembodied non physical being is the whole problem of of dualism and philosophy, in other words, without your body, are you still you and and the the classic interpretation maybe it 's correct i don't know maybe we 're wrong. Maybe it's correct that, that people will somehow, you know, leave their bodies, uh, and of course, n- not including negative entities, being a different kind of critter, but people will leave their bodies and become like these super beings who know everything and can, manip- can manipulate space and time and possess objects and stuff. That just has always kind of bothered me philosophically. You know, again, maybe it's true, but, uh, w- could there not be other explanations such as consciousness waves, uh, as is, uh, sp- you know, talked about sometimes by some fringe physicists. You know, these things are like a uh, vinyl record, say, with lumps in them, being the table or Annabelle the doll, or this sort of thing. And uh, you 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 create a disruption in in space time, and worlds kind of collide where the person never died, and you know all this kind of stuff that that is speculated upon, and that may be ridiculous. Um, but you know, have you considered other explanations and in your book in fairness you, you do mention these possibilities as well because it's a really good book um, but what say you I mean uh, is is our general interpretation too narrow are, are there possibilities we haven't considered And when it comes to I, these haunted objects
0: I, I think all of the above and I think that is our uh, process when we look at the big collective you know and Energy can never be destroyed, and I think today we, we, we finally got a grasp on that, and I think a lot of people, you know, understand that, that it can take on things that we don't quite understand. Is there a lot of things that occur and happen, uh, you know, as far as hauntings or, or items or, you know, situations? Absolutely. We, ha- we have to keep an open mind, to me, is the most important element, uh, within our field. Sure. Because there's, there's too many things to look at. There's too many possibilities. And there's, it, 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 to me it's overwhelming when I take that step back and when we look at things and we analyze them. And it's the best thing that we could possibly do because we don't have the answers. Indeed. We know and we have a better understanding today, I think, uh, for most of us, you know, When someone says to me, I don't have any scientific proof, I'll go, what do you mean by that?
1: Exactly. John, I'm afraid I'm going to have to interrupt you because we're going to take our bottom of the hour break. And uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on ON ON1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley with our marvelous guests, John Zafferson, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. We'll be right back. It's your business. The health of our economy, the strength of our businesses affects every individual, every family. I'm Frank Proussens. Each Thursday, we'll visit with leaders to discuss important business and economic issues. Join me Thursdays at 4 p.m. on WON. It's your business because it is.
3: ON Radio, ON Worldwide.
1: All right. Well, welcome back. This is Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Our guests today, John Zaffis and Rosemary Ellen Guiley in the book, Demon Haunted, True Stories from the John Zaffis Vault. And as uh, Ben just said, truth takes no prisoners. So, Ben, did you have a question before I... Oh, yeah. I, th- this, was, this was
2: this something that sort of popped into my mind a little bit earlier. was, do these haunted objects do different things to different people? So, for example, if you have like a... I don't know, an animal is the only one that's, that's coming to my head right now. If someone picked up the animal doll and, like, they had some sort of weird moment of clarity or if it tossed them across the room. Do they do different things to different people?
3: There's a range of activity that usually happens. And, for example, if something negative is lodged in an object, it's, it's going to have a negative effect on people, but not necessarily on everyone. And we run into this all the time when people say, for example, going into a place that has had activity. They may experience nothing at all and come out saying, look, there's, there's no haunting there because nothing happened to me. And then someone else can walk in and just be overwhelmed by, uh, by phenomena. And I think it has to do with the energy of the person something in the energy field or the consciousness of an individual, this is a huge wild card, and I think this ties into things you were uh, getting at uh, just a few minutes ago, Paul, that uh, these situations are far more complicated than uh, we realize in terms of what activates uh, the manifestation of, of phenomena. Uh, so uh, it, c- it can be very different uh, for individuals from mild to extreme um but the activity does tend to fall within uh, a kind of a range uh, of uh, manifestations in terms of sounds, shadows, um, uh, cold breezes, um, knocking activity, you know, the, the the negative sort of sort of things that usually get activated.
2: Okay. Uh Ben, well I to... I was, I was I, no she was, she pretty thoroughly answered that. I'm
1: don't going okay. to follow up to that at all. Uh John, did you have a
0: Response no, I, to that question. I, uh, very much agree with Rosemary.
1: Okay, good. Let's move on to the Hudson Valley Havoc. That's a chapter in the book, and uh, it's a, that really that was the first thing in the table of contents that drew my eye, because the Hudson Valley is well known for UFO activity, things of this kind. The Hudson Valley UFO flap, and it's at the western edge of a flap case we're investigating that involves uh, areas where you both live, and then farther west, that sort of thing. Do you? Um, Can you tell us about that Hudson Valley Havoc chapter?
3: That was a property that initially I started investigating, and I brought John in on the case, uh, because it was ongoing, persistent, incredibly negative activity that nothing seemed to remedy the situation. And the couple that was living there was, um, after three years, they'd been there three years by the time uh, I got involved with them, uh, they were really becoming worn down, and um, my feeling was that there was gin activity on the property as well as perhaps residual things. The, it, it, that house and property seemed to sit in um, a portal, what I would call a portal area, where uh, there was just activity going on all the time. And that whole Hudson Valley corridor um, from um, you know down close to New York City, uh, much further up north, has had a long history of UFO and paranormal activity. And um, so uh, that was my assessment on the gin. And, John, you might want to chime in with your thoughts when you got involved in the case. Uh, it, it really was difficult to deal with.
1: Yes, John, go ahead.
3: It, it, yes, uh, an interesting piece of property. And
0: what I pay attention to a lot of times is, uh, and Rosemary uh, can uh, basically verify this. This was a particular couple that um, really didn't have to look at anything from a, a paranormal perspective. In other words, they had a very successful career, both of them, um, very well-stable people, and it wasn't something that they were just going to really exaggerate. And to me, that that's an important element a lot of times when we get involved with these cases. The paranormal isn't the focal point of, you know, their uh, entire lives. When uh, being on the piece of property, beautiful, uh, very well uh, kept, and the activity and some of the different things that were occurring and happening were very parallel uh, to another case that uh, involved the gin that uh, uh, Rosemary had brought me to in Pennsylvania, a farm, in When lining different things up, we we all have our different opinions and the different ways of looking at things. And I was extremely intrigued. And looking at the perspective of Rosemary's research, at uh, digging in, so to speak, to the gin. And um, with some of the elements and some of the things looking at, uh, these two particular cases, they were very parallel if you will, with uh, sightings, different types of activity that were occurring and different things that were happening that were associated.
1: Okay. That is something I want to get into after, because we're burning up the hour here. I want to give you both a chance to talk about uh, this book, your other books, websites, etc. Uh, John, why don't you go first?
0: Uh, very um, thrilled to death to have uh, Demon Haunted out. Um, it's it's a good thing when you have a good friend that can interpret you, and Rosemary is very good at interpreting me.
3: Mm.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and being able to yeah uh, uh, to be able to work with her and her having a good understanding uh, of a lot of the different things and adding so much of her information and the way she looks at things and interpret things to me that's very important to share a lot of that different knowledge from different perspectives and she was able to really pull that out in this book um it's been fantastic uh the feedback has been fantastic on it and i'm extremely happy that uh that book got out there and it's locking and rolling excellent <laughs>
1: well that's good I can't criticize it because I wrote the foreword for it. Yes,
0: uh, you did, sir. Thank
1: you. Uh, oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Uh, Rosemary, whom we always refer to on this show as uh, the Paranormal Renaissance Woman, a very special friend and <laughs> proud to say... Oh,
0: him. I like that one. Me yeah.
1: too. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rosemary, tell us about uh, your where people can find out more about you.
3: My website is visionaryliving.com. It's just recently been revamped with a lot of new material, so uh, if you haven't been by in a while, please stop by. And then I have a separate website devoted solely to the gin called com d-j-i-n-n-universe.com. D-J-I-N-N John and I are already plotting book number three. <laughs> uh, I think between the two of us, we have material that continue can continue for quite some time.
1: Uh, excellent. Well, I look forward to seeing that. Uh, ben and I are threatening to write another book ourselves. So on these... Um, Let's get back into the notice of, of the area of what we call flap areas, and you, John touched upon that in the last question. Um, we find, and this this only happened because we, we've been working, we, we keep running into UFOs somehow if you looked outside of a haunted house or whatever, and uh, we're, we're invited to speak at a lot of UFO conferences, and we keep running into you know, outstanding friends like, like Rosemary, uh, Rosemary, right, you're here. Uh, Kathy Martin, and Denise Stoner who, uh, have come to us with cases of people who believe they've been abducted and other things, and all of a sudden they have poltergeist activity going on in their house. You know, crossover phenomena, as you might say. Do you two run into that? And if so, for how long have you been running into it?
3: Well, well I've run into, into it. A bit. Oh, oh, John, oh, John, go ahead first. Um, You know, from the get-go of my uh, involvement in the the paranormal, I've run into the crossover phenomena, and that led me into casting a broader net on my research, uh, especially in these areas where there's a lot of intense ongoing activity. So we we really can't isolate things. Uh, Researchers really must pull back and take a look at everything going on uh, in an area, even if it's outside of their primary focus.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. John?
0: Yeah, i in agreement with that. Again, ever since I've been involved, you know, there's always been that parallel and a lot of the, the activity that occurs, you know, can it be aliens? You know, the the, 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 the parallels sometimes when we look at the things uh, from a UFOlogy perspective and, you know, uh, the demonology field of it, the parallels are definitely there. And I think, again, um, I have always kept an open mind when dealing with the paranormal, regardless of what it is. I mean, you know, I spent one night out on the lake looking for the Loch Ness Monster. Unfortunately, I couldn't find it.
1: Well, I never knew that. I mean, you come up with oh, yeah. shake fins. You know.
0: you know, I'm intrigued. Everything intrigues me. I don't rule anything out. I, I evaluate. I try to look at things. That's why a lot of times with the uh, conferences... You know, when uh, somebody's speaking on uh, UFOlogy or Bigfoot or something like that, I'm intrigued. And a lot of times I'll go sit and, you know, uh, listen to their presentation because I'll sit there and go, gee, you know, what about this? What about that? And it, it, to me, that's a, a key element w- uh, with all of us, regardless of what path we're on, is uh, listening a lot of times and uh, taking some of that knowledge in and, you know, uh, a lot of times we can't do anything with it, as we all know, but, you know, you look at it, you evaluate it, and it's important to keep an open mind no matter which topic or which avenue uh, each and every one of us go down.
1: Well, very well said, John. Uh, just as a bit of an aside, Ben, as a young nipper, uh, was after me to take him to Loch Ness uh, you know, as if he was convinced that he would come up out of the water and offer us tea or something. You know, I mean, it's possible. Yeah, well, anything's possible. It's true. So um, one of the things, and, and maybe you can, can comment on this, one of the things that, that we are concerned about in our own work is the boundaries of what we call these flap areas, because it's all really very arbitrary. How do you tell where one um, set of phenomena, if that's what it is, ends and where another begins or where, or where, where there may be none? Uh, I don't think there's anywhere on the planet where there's nothing happening. But uh, how, the, the idea of the triangle for example, in, in the Litchfield, Connecticut case, you know, near where both both of you live, we we have identified a triangle many years ago of about roughly central power kind of thing, five to six square miles, and then uh, with with a, a kind of a circle around that area extending the Hudson Valley and then New Haven and Bridgeport and all that. But that could all be very arbitrary. Uh, would you have any advice for us on that? Do you yourself run into the problem of where, where to draw boundaries? Uh, in flat areas or, or areas where phenomena are occurring, or any other insights you could offer on that?
3: I think the boundaries are are very vague at best, and uh, some of them have been kind of artificial. For example, when Warren Coleman was uh, mapping out the Bridgewater triangle, uh, you know he did say that he was uh, looking for a boundary that uh, you know he's kind of playing off the Bermuda triangle idea. And yet you really can't draw firm boundaries. You can find areas where things are very intense and then perhaps X number of miles away, um, things seem to uh, to be less active. But finding those precise boundaries, uh, I think, is extremely difficult and uh, make, makes our job hard sometimes to uh, to define these pockets of activity.
1: That's true. Also, another thing that 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 is, I think, of concern to all of us is the state of this field we have chosen for better or for worse to work in. I don't know. We sort of think of it as a kind of a a Dodge City of uh, the intellect, in a sense. You have people in all sorts of characters out there. Some are are shooting at each other. Others are robbing banks. Others are trying (laughs) trying to bring law and order. It just it seems to be a very rather chaotic field. With um, again, anybody who Writes a book or has been on in the local newspaper is considered an expert and all sorts of damage at times is being done. And I'm waiting for the lawsuits. Uh, mal, if you're going malpractice in, in, um, for the clergy, you can certainly have it for paranormal investigators. So what, what do you think is the current state of paranormal investigation? I, and I mean, uh, with people like us who are not, profet- well, who aren't, who don't have degrees, I, well, I don't know, how, who knows who has what, but how, well, what is your, your, interpretation of the state of the field at this point and, and all the kinds of people who are in it without naming any names. Rosemary, I want to start with you.
3: Uh, sure. It's very uneven, and uh, I think a lot of that just has to do with the way things have evolved over the past decade or so. Uh, prior to the onslaught of reality TV shows, uh, this sort of an investigation was undertaken by a relatively small number of people. Hmm we have limited tools at hand. There are a lot more tools now, but uh, we've the paranormal field has been kind of overrun with um, people who have been out uh, looking for, for excitement and thrills and not necessarily having a lot of background. I find it really runs the gamut from investigators who um, really studied and they, they know something about the spirit world and about the paranormal to uh, people who really don't know much of anything at all, and yet they're all, quote-unquote, experts out there, uh, which makes it very difficult, I think, for the public to find uh, reliable sources of help.
1: Yeah, true. Yeah. John?
0: Well, um, again, it's something I think uh, so many of us that have been in the field for many, many years is... I try to take the approach and I try to look at this from the perspective of it's very difficult uh, for me in dealing with a lot of different things out there today because I don't understand how anyone can move forward. You can go in and start doing investigations because you threw up a website, you, know, you watch a TV show, and now all of a sudden you're out there getting involved, um, especially with residential cases. I do, I do have a lot of difficulty with that because it's very hard to get involved with something and be involved with something when you find out there's been 10, 20 different paranormal groups that were in there. Oh, tell with, us about it. Yeah, with coming up, with Satan coming up through the floor to, you know, the, the crazy bizarre things that occur. And a lot of times, you know, it makes me take that step back and just look Rosemary and I have this discussion. We we, we go back and forth like you can't believe, Paul, all over this whole thing. Yeah. With, with, With what is occurring and happening. But then I try to look at it. On the flip side of it, if it wasn't happening and it wasn't occurring, would we be moving forward? Would some of the things be occurring and happening at this point in time as far as, you know, all the horns, bells, and whistles with the equipment? Would we have some of the people... Um, that, you know, I'm well aware of, you know, scientists and uh, different people, engineers and things getting involved with uh, trying to make um, some parallels and, and common sense of things to be able to get the repeatability. Would they come out to the forefront if we didn't have all the bizarre, crazy things that are occurring and happening today? I mean, it, it's very hard for me uh, a lot of times, too, when dealing with a case because, you know, I, people look at it differently now. Are, are you coming with the film crew? No. Do you yeah. want help or do you want to be on TV? What are you looking for?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's it's a difficult world, you know, for a lot of us that just had that small community. And you know, even though you know, again, a lot of us vary and we look at things differently, but that's okay. Today, I uh, I look at it as, you know, right away I cringe. Because I have to ask so many different questions that have nothing to do with the haunting before I'll even get involved with something.
1: No, yeah, Yeah, as do we. And you have to, I remember, you know, in, in the old days, we all remember this. You know, it was okay. The, the guy says, "Okay, well, the, the bruises on the child came from the poltergeist, something like that." You know, or um, but today you have to call child services, or or you could be lied. You know, these are things we never had to face. It used to be very seat of the pants. We had maybe. I remember reel-to-reel tape recorders for crying out loud. Uh, I remember you know, your aunt and uncle John had a big big reel-to-reel tape recorder, and, and they used to you know share stuff from cases with me on that. We mm-hmm. had cassette tapes, but that was about the edge of the, the end of the technology at that point. Mm-hmm. You know And now uh, the question that we often ask is, do we really know any more with all these gizmos than we did in those days?
0: I do feel. From the perspective with all these gizmos, I don't even use half of them. I don't even know how to turn half of the stuff off, but I get <laughs> the kick out of it. But um, I think with the spirit communication, with a lot of the different things that are occurring and happening, you know, we are getting that verification. I think spirit uh, today, I don't know if it's because of the energy associated with all of us and the equipment and the combinations. That is occurring where we're getting full sentences, things that are uh, logical, things that are very clear and defined coming through. Um, I'm very intrigued by all that. Do I think, again, um, with uh, the, the fact that we have moved forward? Yes, but again, like I had said earlier, um, you know, when somebody says to me, "Oh, I investigated, but I didn't get any scientific proof," and I go, "And that means what?"
1: Exactly, getting, what yeah. constitutes yeah. proof?
0: Yeah, we're getting tons of things, we're documenting the tons of things, but what the heck are we doing with it? Nothing.
1: And, and are God. they what they appear to be?
3: Right. And we assume God. things are
1: what they appear to be from our own point of view. Yeah, yes. Rosemary, you want to get in here on this?
3: Uh, yeah, a couple of thoughts. First of all, none of it's scientific, no matter what they say. There's mm. no evidence that's been captured in the paranormal that science would accept as scientific proof.
1: Exactly. So they should just
3: mm-hmm. get off that platform right now. Uh, and, and secondly, we, you know, like John was saying, we have gotten, thanks to equipment, a lot of very interesting data, both audio and visual, and that's been um, very valuable to the field. But I think more than anything, the proliferation of equipment has demonstrated how elusive and subjective the phenomena are and how dependent they are upon things that we know very little about, like uh, subtle energy. Consciousness and energy fields.
1: All right, Ben. Did you, uh, we're running out of time. Do you have any uh, final questions?
2: Well, you, uh, hmm. I mean, everything well, that that could have been said has been said. I think the thing that—well, uh,
1: probably not. But I see what you mean.
2: Well, I mean, you know, there's only so much you can say about the unknown. I mean, it, our our language because well, it's unknown. Well, exactly. Right. Well, our language, our culture, and everything that we have is based around stuff we know absolutely nothing about. So we're using things that we can't use to define the paranormal or supernatural or really anything so we have inadequate tools the inadequate concepts and the inadequate perceptions so therefore we really don't know anything at all
1: well all i know is this is one of the most fascinating conversations i've had in a long time now just very quickly uh john give us your website one more time and then rosemary
0: okay it's com. Uh, a lot of uh different information and different things on there um i have a store on there you know uh with the books uh, t-shirts mugs and you know a whole bunch of those different things a lot of the different things i'll be attending or uh lecturing at and um just a whole bunch of information out there (laughs) great
1: uh rosemary
3: Visionaryliving.com and ginuniverse.com.
1: Outstanding. And the book, again, Demon Haunted, True Stories from the John Zaffis Vault. John Zappas, and Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Thank you both very much. We'll be in touch. Indeed. And we'll do this again. You. <laughs> very good. Thank you.
3: Thank you.
2: Okay,
1: folks. Ben, take it away with the announcements. you got a lot of them.
2: Oh, yes. So our new book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is now in many bookstores and is creeping towards uh, others because some of the confusion went over the early release date. And it's also available on Amazon.com, where it has been the hottest new release in three categories for a little over a week now. Oh, they've also been out of stock for the better part of a week, so I don't know what's going on over there. Well, there's there's all sorts of things that we can do to get around that. You, could all, yes. you can go to our, our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. You can click on a link, and we'll sign the book for you, and we'll send it to you from our own sort of stash, if you will. So you can check that out, BehindTheParanormal.com. That's our main site, as well as NewEnglandGhosts.com, and it makes a great Hanukkah and Christmas gift.
1: Well, I will say, say this. Barnes & Noble in Smithfield, Rhode Island, right here in our listening area, does have it in stock. Uh, I saw three copies there on okay. Friday, so you can... Head over there and get them before they're gone. I saw three <laughs> copies. Oh, yeah, well, that's all they had left. On Thursday, December 29th, we will do a presentation and book signing at the Woonsocket Harris Public Library, 303 Clinton Street in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. That will run from 6.30 to
2: 8 p.m. Right. Okay, that brings us to Thursday, January 19th and at the uh, Franklin Public Library and uh, temporary digs at uh, 25 Kenwood Circle, Franklin, Massachusetts, and that begins at
1: 6.30. And on Saturday, February 18th, we'll be at the Danbury, Connecticut Public Library for a program and book signing beginning at 10.30 a.m. We're going to get up pretty early to, to get on top of that one,
2: Ben. That'll be fine. That's a two-and-a-half-hour drive. That's fine. All right. So Saturday, March uh, eleventh, we will be found at the uh, Book Lovers Gourmet Bookstore in Webster, Massachusetts, for a presentation and signing beginning at two p.m.
1: And there's more. The following week, Saturday, March eighteenth, we'll be presenting and signing at Toadstool Bookshop in Keene, New Hampshire. I understand that's the largest or one of the largest uh, independent bookstores in New Hampshire. A lot lot of friends up there because of our uh, we always speak
2: at the exit we 're we're, we're just always in New Hampshire.
1: we are we should move there oh yeah. don 't tell station
2: manager that <laughs> okay
1: so new events are being added frequently, so check BehindTheParanormal.com
2: com or our show Facebook page for constant updates and don 't forget about our youtube channel that 's behind the paranormal case files. Unfortunately, our fourth video will be coming it 's <laughs> we 've just been very busy with book signings and new book coming out and it 's been a little slow coming because of that, but Though time will be found, and it will be out soon. So you can find that Behind the Paranormal case files on YouTube, and you can check that out on our Facebook page as well.
1: Now, I wanted to make a, a sort of a special announcement here. Um, we wanted to uh, mention the, 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 the passing, or as we say, the translation of a, a very dear person in the uh, Bigfoot field. That's Dallas Gilbert, uh, who... Uh, passed just a few days ago uh, and we have uh, uh, some listeners have written in about this. We wanted to commemorate it on the air here. Uh, Quote, Dallas was a very spiritual man and had a kind and gentle soul and uh, we agree. So uh, again uh, Godspeed, Dallas Gilbert. Okay. So uh, again, as Ben mentioned, find out more about the show at uh, behindtheparanormal.com, our appearances and all sorts of information. You'll also find um, nearly 700 hours of, uh, well, 700 free recorded shows. That's more than 700 hours. uh, From both ON 1240 and our four and a half year run on CBS along with special shows and podcasts, including the pretty well-known Return to Rendlesham series from CBS uh, with, that we did in 2010. So that's all there. And you can find uh, a number of other books uh, that I have written uh, on Amazon.com. They are in stock, Amazon Kindle and Barnes & Noble Nook. But if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, as we mentioned, uh we, in the case of the latest book or I, will sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those podcasts and uh, recorded shows free. Also on our websites, you'll find direct links to several charities that we have adopted. That includes USA Cares and Canadian Veterans Advocacy, also Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, doing great things out there for at-risk youth, uh, youthmentoring.org, and also helpforhaiti.com, great charities that we checked out and we know some of the people who run them. Oh, okay, right. Sorry, I thought you were giving me a special signal there. but
2: right? uh, Yes, the special signal.
1: Yes, indeed. Okay, so um, also I mentioned uh, you can get on Amazon. Uh, they do have in the stock UFO Repeaters, which has an entire cha- That's from Global Communications Publishing. They have an entire chapter on our old friend Joe Farrier, talk show host here at ON 1240 for over 50 years, and a UFO expert from the 1960s. Great stuff.
2: So next Sunday, December 18th, we will bring you an open line show with our special guest co-host, Shane Searway. And uh, we have a stack of new questions from our November 27th appearance on Coast to Coast AM with George Knapp.
1: And we leave you this afternoon with a thought from that old darling, Albert Einstein. If people are good only because they fear punishment and hope for reward, then we are a sorry lot indeed.
2: I'm Paul Eno. I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time.